um, we've been start, we're in our hero series, and we're looking at biblical characters uh, in the Bible and to see uh, what lessons can we learn from, from their lives. And so today we're going to look at a story in 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. And uh, before I forget, I uh, want to say congratulations to uh, James Lee and Esther, who got married yesterday. And uh, so I'm not, sh- I, I, don't know if I, can't, I don't know if they're here, but yeah, so congratulations to them. Can we just uh, congratulate them? Uh, we are uh, very excited. There, there are a lot more weddings planning coming up and a lot more weddings that some of you don't even know that you're going to get married right now. So we just call that forth and... and uh, uh, maybe maybe the girls don't know, but the guys are ready and preparing. But uh, uh, but we're really excited. Justin and Hari uh, a few months ago got married, and and Johnny and Yuri got married, and so just uh, really excited uh, how God is just multiplying our our families here. And uh, so all I have to say is that if uh, you're single and, and and you want to get married, just just be a part of our family, and and God may provide for you. <laughs> it's not a promise, but uh, it's it's very optimistic. So. Um, we're at 1 Kings 19, uh, verse 1, and uh, it may be a familiar story for, for some of you. Uh, when Ahab, King Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah, may the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Elijah was afraid and he fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors who have already died. Well, today I'll be speaking about the prophet Elijah. And uh, the name Elijah literally means Elohim plus Yahweh, meaning Yahweh is my Elohim. Yahweh is my God, Elijah. And it's going to be a name that defines his life. It's going to be a, a name that he's going to need to stand on for confidence. It's going to be a name where he's, he's going to need to believe again when his faith disappears, as we see in this particular story. Uh, you may or may not be familiar with the famous story of Elijah when he confronted the 450 prophets of Baal. And then there was another 400 prophets uh, of the goddess Asherah. And so that would make it 850 prophets versus one prophet Elijah. I mean, this is better than any like Bruce Lee movie or any Jackie Chan movie. This is 850 versus one, and he takes care of all of them. And so Elijah challenges these, these prophets of Baal and, and these false prophets that if Baal is God, then you follow him. But if Yahweh is God, then you follow him. And they determined that whoever's God was able to bring down fire to the altar that they prepared for him would be the real God. And so the first group that had to come fight was the prophets of Baal, and, and they did everything they could to, to get Baal to, to bring down fire. They began to shout louder and louder. They became so desperate that they began to cut themselves and offer themselves as, as living blood sacrifices uh, so that, that Baal would bring down fire, but to no avail. And Elijah just trolled them and says, hey, maybe your God is sleeping right now. You know, maybe he doesn't know what's going on here. But then it was Elijah's turn, and he, he turned to Yahweh, and he, and, he, and he prayed, and he asked God, God, you are the God of all of this land. Would you come down? And, and fire came down, and it was an epic battle, and it was an epic victory for Yahweh and Elijah. 
And after this incredible victory, could you imagine the, the, the sense of confidence that Elijah would have in God, the, the confidence in having faith in Yahweh? I mean, God showed up in a big time and demonstrated his power and his presence. And I'm sure the spiritual high would last for, I don't know, years, right? I mean, if you had an experience like this, that spiritual high would last you for a long time, at least a, a year or two, don't you think? However, this passage that we read is that the spiritual high didn't even last 24 hours. And right after King Ahab got home, Elijah got the word that his wife Jezebel wanted to kill him. And so now he was afraid for his life. And it's like, dude, you just killed 850 prophets by yourself. And now you're afraid because this lady's talking trash to you? Like, this doesn't make any sense. This is so confusing. You just saw less than 24 hours fire come down from the sky. You asked God. He answered. You killed 850 by yourself. And now this woman is talking trash and giving you threats. And you're afraid for your life when you have this powerful God on your side who's always been faithful to you, who's always defended you, who's always come through to you. And now you're running for your life? In fact, he gets so discouraged, he, he goes into this huge spiral of despair, and, and even you could argue he went into a depression because he wants to end his life. I mean, how does any of that make sense? I mean, how is it possible that, that this biblical giant of faith lapses into this deep source of discouragement and despair and depression? We'll discover from Elijah's story that uh, mental illness was not uncommon then, nor is it uncommon now. Depression is a mental illness that is suffered by over 17 million Americans. And for many people, recognizing and admitting to feeling depressed, it, it carries a stigma of shame. It, it's, it's embarrassing. Uh, people who are depressed ha- have felt like that they may be weak or incapable of handling life that is thrown, or, or maybe they may feel that some people look at them as being lazy, that they're not able to rise above their circumstances. Especially in the Christian circles here at church, it seems that, that uh, those who are struggling with depression, doesn't, you, you don't have enough faith, that maybe you're not praying hard enough, uh, that you don't believe enough. And some people like me thought that if you're a Christian, it is impossible to, to, to be clinically depressed because you have the joy of the Lord, you have salvation, you have the Holy Spirit. It's, it's impossible. It, it just really messed with my theology. And that's something that I struggled for many, many years. How could a, a, a God-following, uh, a Christian filled with the Spirit, be depressed? Yet that, the experience shows that, that it's possible. In fact, we see examples in Scripture of many biblical heroes that struggled with despair, discouragement, and depression, and especially here uh, in the story of Elijah. And I may not know how that works or why that works or if it's even possible, but all I know is it is there. And so today I want to talk about Elijah's story in, 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 in the circle of depression in general terms. I mean, depression, there's a huge scale of that. There's, there's mild, but there's also clinical. And so I'm going to talk more about a general sense. 
I mean, it can happen to any of us. It can happen to any of you that at a certain season in your life that we struggle with handling the, the anxieties and the, and the pressures of our lives and we have no idea why this is happening. We no, have no idea how this is happening. All we know is that we are having a difficult time handling life. The prophet Elijah was such an example. He most likely suffered from major depression which was, uh, which in our lives, it, it manifests in maybe the inability to sleep or to work or to enjoy pleasurable activities. Um, a major depression episode may occur once in your life or it may occur many times in a lifetime. But I, I think this is the situation that Elijah was in as I, I look at this story. Um, you notice that in this story, after this incredible uh, uh, experience with God, incredible mountaintop experience, literally on a mountain, mountaintop experience, many of us have maybe gone to retreats or we've gone to church meetings or we've gone to, to revival meetings and, and, and we really met God and we really experienced the presence of God. Or maybe God supernaturally healed uh, one of your illnesses and sicknesses and you're like, oh my God, God is amazing. God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. But if you notice, at least a pattern in my life, that whenever something happens where I'm on the mountaintop, I remember a few times like going, after, going to a youth retreat as a youth pastor, and, and everyone was so blessed, and everyone's just uh, on fire for God. And then as we go down the mountain, uh, just literally less than 24 hours after our mountaintop experiences, something happens, a car accident, somebody loses a job, uh, something happens where you know, they run away or, or something tragic happens. It, it, it's a commonplace experience. And we see this also validated in the life of Elijah that after this 850 uh, prophet slaughter, that here he is just in an instant in despair, discouragement, and in depression. Some of the lowest points of my spiritual life come, came after some great spiritual victories. And you know what's interesting? This happened to Jesus too. This happened to Jesus too. If you remember the baptism and the heavens opened up and God the Father, his voice comes down from heaven and says, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. This is my beloved son who I love so much. And so he has this, this great uh, uh, experience with the Father, this great connection. And what does the scripture say happens next, immediately next? He is, he's driven into the, the wilderness, into the desert, to fast for 40 days and 40 nights. And so he has this incredible experience with his father. And then the next thing you know, he's in the wilderness for 40 days, 40 nights with no food and no water. This type of experience happens with Jesus too. Uh, I'm not too familiar with the military, but, uh, but I've heard in the military that after uh, the battalion achieves a great activity or they accomplishes their object- objective, they don't sit around and eat cake and pop a, you know, bust out the champagne. They, they, after a great victory or accomplishing their objective, they set up the perimeter to guard and protect the battalion because it's at that moment where it's an extremely uh, a vulnerable time. And if you were to look at your life, that where the times that you're most vulnerable are the times maybe where, where God is there and then you, you feel disappointed because, God, you were just there. You were just with me, but now I feel like you're, you're not here with me. And so we need to guard our hearts and understand that these are the most vulnerable times. And for, for Elijah, he was so vulnerable and he fell into despair and discouragement. 
Dr. Albert Ellis, who is a founder of Cognitive Therapy, uh, describes how our experiences, beliefs, and actions interact. How our experiences and our beliefs and our actions interact. And he explains that there's a three-event sequence that happens every time you feel discouraged, every time you feel despair, every time you worry, every time you're afraid, that there are three events that happen. Uh, and, And so the first thing is the actual event. Something happens. And then what happens is what you think of that event that just happened. And then thirdly, it's, it's what are the feelings that follow what you thought about the event that happens. Let me explain it again. There's an event that happens. And then comes next is what you think of that event. And then what happens is what you feel about what you thought about that event. And so when we look at the story of Elijah, we we see that the event is this threat that Jezebel makes, that I'm going to kill you, I'm going to come after you, and you're going to die just as you did to my prophets. You're going to die in that same way. So that's the event. But we don't know what happens in the middle, but we know uh, what the feelings were that happened after that. We read that he is afraid. And so I don't know what his thought process was to get to that place where he felt afraid and, and fell into a spiral of despair. But all we know that Elijah's confidence in God was gone momentarily and temporarily. That Elijah's confidence in God was gone momentarily and temporarily. And I want to emphasize that because I want to emphasize that it was gone momentarily and temporarily. And that should give us hope, because whenever we're going through an episode of maybe discouragement or depression, that it's only momentarily. Come on, somebody. That it's only temporary. And we think that this is going to be permanent. When you're in it, you feel like it's going to be permanent, that it's never going to end. But Jesus gives us hope this morning that it's only momentarily and only temporarily. So what, come on, somebody. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Uh, Pastor Chuck Swindoll, who, is, uh, who used to be the president of Dallas Seminary, uh, points out uh, what happened to, what, what Elijah failed to do. And number one, he failed to see the source of the threat. It was an unbelieving, evil woman named Jezebel. He, he failed to see what the source is. It wasn't a good source. It wasn't a credible source. It wasn't a legitimate source. It was an unbelieving, evil woman named Jezebel. The second thing that he failed to do is he failed to see beyond the threat, that it was actually a bluff. It was just all trash talking. Uh, he took it personally. It was, it was a bluff. It was a, a trash talk, maybe out of anger. She lashed out, and she said, I'm going to kill you, which you know makes sense. And third, he failed to seek God immediately. You don't see Elijah seeking God in prayer and saying, God, this is how I feel. This is the event. This is what I'm thinking about it. Lord, would you change my thoughts? Help me to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Let me know that your truth, that your word is true, that you are with me, that your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Let me know you don't see any of that in Elijah. And as a result, his result is fear and his result is flight. And so Elijah allowed this one event to frighten him into this spiral that leads to depression. I can imagine that he felt like a failure um, and because he just assumed, and because he felt like a failure, he just assumed that he was a failure. Uh, clinical psychologists call this ki- type of thinking cognitive distortions. It's this 
process in our brains by which a, a person believes in false things. It's a distortion. They, they believe something that was false. So, for example, in the story, we didn't read about it, but Elijah, he complains he's, that, he's the only prophet of Yahweh left, that everyone has been killed, everyone is destroyed, and he's like, and now they're out to get me, and that's what he believes. But we learn later the truth is there are 7,000 other prophets of Yahweh that he is not the only one, but he believes in this lie that he's the only one. And that's a cognitive distortion. And so this, this also contributes to the idea that whatever I feel, that's what it must be. And because he feels uh, depressed or discouraged or a failure, he, he assumes and he presumes and he believes that what he feels is what he is. And so he, Elijah does what is most natural to to us when we're going through something like that, it's natural for me, is that when I'm discouraged and depressed, I isolate myself from others. I naturally am uh, an introverted guy, and I'm naturally by myself. I'm an only child, so I'm, this is what I'm comfortable with, and I naturally do that. But if you see an extreme version of that, you know something has got to be up. And for most people, just like Elijah, he isolated himself. The scriptures say that he, he found a, a broom tree, and he was alone, and he, he just sulked there. And so what I do is that I withdraw myself from the source of comfort from people who I know would speak life into me, people who I know that would love me, people who I know would care for me. I isolate myself from that. And I presume that many of us do the same, and that's what Elijah did too. Because it's easy to think that we're the only one who's suffering, that we're the only one who understands But I'm here this morning to tell you that you are not alone. Can you turn to somebody next to you and tell them you are not alone? I don't know if that moves their hearts or anything. That's pretty weak. Can you tell somebody to the other side that you are not alone? The story of Elijah reminds us that we're not alone and that other Christians throughout history has experienced these kinds of struggles as well. Let's continue in verse 5. Um, It says that he lay down and slept under a broom tree, and behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went into the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, throw down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I, only I am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And so I want you to notice how God deals with Elijah, how God ministers to Elijah. The first thing he does is that he ministers to his physical body, he provides, some, sometimes when you're going through some stuff, you just need to, to get some food in your system. Sometimes you need to eat. Sometimes you need to sleep. You'll see that God not only ministers to the soul, to your heart, but he also ministers to your physical body. Because God has made us as a psychosomatic being, that we're not just a soul floating around in space, but our soul is connected to a body, that they're united, and you can't separate the two. You can't separate your body and your soul. And so this story reminds us that not only do we need to feed our soul, but we've got to feed our body. The problem is too many of us feed our body and we don't feed our soul. Come on, sorry. But we've got 
to feed both. That every, so he ministers to Elijah physically. And so I'm, I just want to encourage you, sometimes you don't need uh, another prayer meeting. Sometimes you don't need uh, another Bible study. Sometimes you just need a nap. That's right, Pastor. That's why I sleep in on Sunday mornings. I'm just listening to you, and I'm missing church. I'm, I'm just listening to you. No, sorry, I don't think that's going to fly. I don't think that's going to fly. I'm sorry. But Elijah, he gets some rest. He sleeps. He sleeps again. He eats again. Sometimes physically there, there may be chemical imbalances in your brain, and medication can help. You, you need to tend to the physical part of your being because your physical affects your mental. It affects your spiritual. It affects your emotional. You need to tend to your physical being. And so God ministers to Elijah, Elijah uh, physically, but also uh, psychologically and emotionally by allowing Elijah to talk out his feelings. He, he becomes this divine counselor now. And if you look through the Psalms, the Psalms are filled with people venting to God, communicating to God their sorrows, their worries, their concerns, their stresses. To to be a godly person, it doesn't mean that you're denying your emotions. It doesn't mean you're denying what you're feeling. It's not pretending that your emotions aren't there. That would deny your humanity. You're a human being made of emotions and thoughts and feelings. Sure, some of our, our feelings and our emotions need to be corrected, uh, but emotions are not bad or good. They are just indicators of what's happening in our soul. And so, uh, uh, so God ministers to Elijah by listening to him. And he asks, what are you doing here, Elijah? And whenever God asks this question, uh, remember, it's not because he needs information. It's not like because God doesn't know what's, what, what Elijah's doing there. But he's giving Elijah a chance to communicate and express his heart. And so what does God do? He listens. He listens. One thing that I learned uh, th- through the story of Elijah is that um, you're not weak for getting help. Asking help from, from the Lord, asking help from anybody, just asking help doesn't mean you're weak. Asking help from a counselor or therapist doesn't mean you're weak. You, otherwise, you're just a human being in denial that you need help because the truth is everyone needs help. Can you once again turn to somebody next to, next to you and say, you need help? If you believe, say, you need help. Some of your spouses are like, no, you need help. <laughs> pastor Andy Stanley mentioned that nine out of the ten um, largest church pastors are all seeing a therapist because otherwise they would be destroyed by the pressures and the burdens of life. The fact that we struggle does not make us bad Christians. The fact that we struggle does not make us disobedient Christians. Struggles, depression, anxiety have marked faithful Christians throughout history, throughout church, throughout scriptures. Another thing that I've struggled with is is that feeling like God has rejected me. Because we struggle with depression, it doesn't mean that God has forgotten you. Um, we, we can't feel that when things are going bad that God is a- away from us, that he's forgotten about us. Like Joseph, we learned last week, if you were there. right? We, those who follow Christ will always experience 
physical and emotional hardships in this life. Just look at the Apostle Paul and what he went through. Yet he always knew that God was with him, that God was for him, that God did not forget him. This is part of living in a broken world where Jesus is our Savior, where Jesus is our Redeemer, where he's able to take the broken parts of our lives and turn it into something beautiful. Look at your children, how beautiful they are. He's able to take something broken and turn them into something beautiful. Can a brother get an amen? that he has not rejected you. Thirdly, it's okay to not have the answers. As a father, as a husband, as a pastor, I feel this pressure to have all the answers, that I have to know uh, the answers to everything. And for those of you who are fathers and mothers and, and husbands and wives and, and leaders and, 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 and just teachers or whatever, you might feel like you have to know all of the answers. But... We can do all the right things in life, and we'll never experience all of the answers. We'll never know why sometimes we struggle. We'll never know why. Paul never got answers. Job never got answers. And finally, what I've learned through the life of Elijah is that you are not hopeless, that there's always hope, that we need to speak truth and the gospel back to ourselves this is not the only thing that can help us, but, but believing in the gospel, believing in the truth of God, believing in his word, we can find help in the Lord. Uh, some of you may know the name Charles Spurgeon, and he was uh, a great revivalist preacher, but he was famous for struggling with depression for most of his life. And doctors later discovered that it was brought on by gout and other medical complications, but this is what Spurgeon, who is so inspirational in the midst of his depression, he, he decided to see depression not as the absence of God's word, but depression as being God's word him, itself. That he saw that his season through that was God speaking to him itself, not that it, his word was absent from him. And so he opted to use it to trust that God meant something through it. And he, he assumed that God, through his depression, was giving him a picture of something, something that would be deeper and, and better than the joys of a happy, healthy life. But it would be deeper like the joy of being with Jesus for all of eternity. And one time he said to his congregation, I find myself frequently depressed, perhaps more than any other person here. I find no better cure for that depression than the trust in the Lord with all of my heart to seek to realize afresh the power of the peace-seeking blood of Jesus and his infinite love in dying upon the cross to put away all of my uh, transgressions. And so Spurgeon, he preached to himself. And sometimes we just got to preach to ourselves. We've got to be like David in Psalm 103. Oh, I'm going to bless the Lord, oh my soul. All that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. And he says, soul, I will bless the Lord. Sometimes we've got to preach that my God is able to supply all my needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus, that he is for me and not against me. Sometimes you need to preach that to yourself. But see, the, the voices that we hear in our lives are all the, 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 the words of criticism that I'm not good enough, that I'm not smart enough, that I'm not able enough, that I'm, I can't do this where we have Jesus who says that I have overcome the world. Death has not defeated me. I have overcome and I've defeated death. And so if you are abiding in me, we can overcome. Come on, somebody. But that's not what our brain tells us. That's not what we believe. We believe 
that in despair, we believe in hopelessness. But sometimes we have to understand that the season of depression that you're going is sometimes God's word, his word that you need rest, you need healing, and you can find hope in God. You know, sometimes, um, and then if you continue, we don't have time, but if you continue through this chapter, you'll see in verse 12 how God speaks to him. And so there's a, there's a, a, there's a fire, there's an earthquake, um, uh, there's a violent uh, uh, hurricane, uh, but God was not in any of those. God was in the still, small voice. Some translations say the sheer silence. The God was in the silence. The God was in a, a still, small voice. And I find that interesting, but I've, I've realized the power of God speaking to you in silence. Because sometimes when you whisper, in order to hear the person whisper, you have to get closer and closer. Because I can't hear what you're saying. I'm too far away. But if you want to hear what I'm saying, you have to get closer to me. And sometimes in the silence, maybe God is trying to draw you closer because you're saying to him, God, I can't hear you. I need you, but I can't hear you. Maybe instead of the earthquake, instead of the fire, he speaks to you in sheer silence so that you draw closer and closer. And finally, when you're close enough, you can hear the heart of God for you, that I'm with you, that I will never leave you, that I never forsake you. I love you so much that I gave my life for you. You have nothing to worry. You have an inheritance in heaven because of me, that I am your heavenly father, that I will be with you to the end of the age. God was not in the earthquake. He was not in the fire, but he was in the still, small voice. Someone once said that God not only plans the depth of the test, but he plans the length of the test. You know, if you think about it, God could have just instantly removed all of this depression from Elijah. He could have lifted his burden, but he didn't. Instead, he asks the question, why are you here? What I notice is that he's having Elijah work through it. He could have taken it away from him just immediately, instantly, but instead he wants Elijah to work through it so that maybe Elijah would have insight of his soul. I know so badly we want God to lift our burdens, but instead maybe he wants us to work through it so that you would have a revelation of your heart and your soul. I don't know what your life uh, uh, will be the result, if I could ask the worship team to come back up. I don't know what the ending of your life will look like, but I do know this, that the power of how you can touch other people's lives is going to be through the things that you learn about yourself, about God, about life. And it's going to be through the times when you are discouraged and when you are depressed that there are going to be, there will be a deep insight, a deep understanding of the bigger picture of life that this will give you a bigger perspective if you would allow God to be a part of that process. There's, there's a place of great opportunity to discover God for who he is, to give him the opportunity to forge a faith that is deeper or greater than any of your circumstances. Come on, somebody. 
you know, depression is one of the hardest sufferings that I've ever gone through and still processing through. And yes, pastors are not exempt. It is a very real and very serious thing. But I've learned that it's okay to admit that you are a human being that needs help. It's okay to admit that you are a human being that needs help. It's okay to see a therapist, which I have. It is okay to be on medication, which I've been. Elijah, Moses, Jonah, Apostle Paul were not exempt from depression, and neither are we. But through it all, I can testify this, that God is with me and will never leave me, that Jesus loves me, and I will continue to trust in the Lord with all of my heart. And I will not lean on my own understanding, and in all of my ways, I will acknowledge him because he directs my path. He directs my life. And I want to encourage you, will you do the same? Because you are not alone in this journey with God. You are not alone to put your trust in him today. Let's pray together. Lord, you are with us. You're with us in the mountains and you're with us in the valleys. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear any evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort us. God, no one can understand what we're going through right now except for you. No one has seen the tears. No one has experienced the sorrow. No one is there, but you are. And Lord, this whole time I was looking for some fireworks and explosions, some earthquakes in our lives. But this whole time you were there in the sheer silence. So Lord, this morning, would you begin to heal and touch those areas of our hearts that are broken, that are suffering, that feel hopeless, filled with despair, discouragement. Lord, help us to lift our eyes forward, upward, to the King